welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 934. Pursue. Eladin merely waved at me, the only one apparently unimpressed by my miraculous return from the dead. After a minute of congenial chaos, the Chancellor got things back under control and started my interview. I answered Dahl's questions easily enough and Kilvin's, but I fumbled my cipher with Brandier, then had to admit I simply didn't know the answer to Mandrag's question about sublimation. Eladin shrugged away his opportunity to question me, yawning hugely. Lauren asked a surprisingly easy question about the Mender heresies, and I managed a quick and clever answer for him. I had to think for a long moment before answering Arwell's question about Lachilium. That left only Hem, who had been scowling furiously since I'd first stepped up to the master's table. My lackluster performance and slow answers had brought a smug curve to his lips by this point. His eyes gleamed whenever I gave a wrong answer. Well, well, he said, shuffling through the sheaf of papers in front of him. I didn't think we'd have to deal with your type of trouble again. He gave me an insincere smile. I'd heard you were dead. I heard you wear a red lace corset, I said matter-of-factly, but I don't believe every bit of nonsense that gets rumored about. Some shouting followed, and I was quickly brought up on charges of improper address of a master. I was sentenced to compose a letter of apology and find a single silver talent. Money well spent. It was bad behavior, though, and poorly timed, especially after my otherwise lackluster performance. As a result, I was assigned a tuition of 24 talents. Needless to say, I was terribly embarrassed. Afterward, I returned to the bursar's office. I officially presented Alvaron's letter of credit to Riem, and unofficially collected my agreed-upon cut, half of everything over ten talents. I put the seven talents in my purse, and wondered idly if anyone had ever been paid so well for insolence and ignorance. I headed to Anchors, where I was pleased to discover no one had informed the owner of my death. The key to my room was somewhere at the bottom of the, of the Kempthy Sea, but Anchor had a spare. I went upstairs and felt myself relax at the familiar sight of the sloping ceiling and narrow bed. Everything was covered in a thin layer of dust. You might think my tiny room with its sloped ceiling and narrow bed would feel cramped after my grand suite in Alvaron's estate, but nothing could be further from the truth. I busied myself unpacking my travel sack and getting cobwebs out of corners. After an hour, I'd managed to pick the lock on the trunk at the foot of my bed and unpack the things I'd stored away. I rediscovered my half-dismantled end of the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. And Nick hasn't paid his tuition for this podcast, so he threw him out on his ear. Also, speaking of paying tuition, I now see the, I now see the, I don't know if it's like a grift, the deal, the deal that he has made with the bursar, and I'm very impressed. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Quoth kind of keeps us guessing about it for a while, right? Like he, he's narrating as though he is sincerely whiffing his exam, but I think one of the clues that he's that he's deliberately flunking is that all the people who he cares about having a relationship with, he answers their questions correctly. And all the people who he doesn't care about having a relationship with, he whiffs it. Reasonable. And Any thoughts on why uh, Elodin isn't uh, bothered either way that he's alive or dead? I mean, I guess it's possible that Elodin magically knew he wasn't dead, but I also think it's possible that Elodin simply doesn't care. I think, realistically, I think Elodin simply doesn't care. But I also feel like, I can't remember like what fantasy story this is from, but there's like somewhere in the ether that is fantasy stuff, there's like magic people and everybody draws from the same source. So when someone who draws from that source dies, you know. Okay. 
Um, so like because Quoth and Elodin are both namers, maybe they would be able to like feel when each other died. But if they didn't know what that feeling felt like, they would be able to identify it. But because Elodin has lots of experience, he could identify it. Maybe, maybe Elodin knows the name of death. Ooh, interesting. Maybe he sensed Quoth in the forest and was like, "He's alive." I know he's. Yeah, alive. I suppose the the force works in a similar way to this like magic system that I'm remembering from God knows where. So we'll go with the force because they know when each other die with the force, right? Sometimes, depending. There's like a disturbance in the force. There can be a, a disturbance <laughs> in the force. The last time I felt it was in the presence of my old master. Kenobi is here. The force is with him. I, I can't help you with this bit. I don't know enough Star Wars quotes. I'm sorry. And for that, you will be exiled. You'll be sent to the pit of Carcoon. And, and what? This podcast Starlag. will just be you until you all by yourself until Nick can pay his tuition? That's the dream. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. I would miss you. Also, another like interesting point of characterization for Quoth is that it is now worth it to him to get find an extra talent just to piss him off well and because it ups his amount with the bursar doesn't it it does yes so that's good <laughs> well i mean it's unclear if it's gonna come out of his tuition or what like it's a fine so it yeah might, but, but it the separate. point is he can now afford to spend a talent right whereas like there have been times in this book previously where like all quoth had to his name was a talent yeah i don't know how the bursars like skews that in the books to make it look like Quoth actually paid his whole tuition and didn't get anything back, though. I don't think we have to worry about it. I'm just saying, there's no way he could actually put that deal on paper and get away with it, so he's got to have some other way to get around it. I'm sure he's not putting it on paper. Yes, no, I'm sure he's not either. I just don't know how he would... How would he fix the book? How would he cook the books in order for it to work? Don't think about it too much. Cooking the books aside, uh, but still having to do with tuition... Quoth is doing the right thing. Eat That's the rich. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you if you have an unlimited line of credit from like a Jeff Bezos type, you ride that for all it's worth. Spend absolutely. it. All of it. <laughs> if your boss ever gives you like a per diem, spend it. Don't don't say, oh, I oh, I pinched a few pennies and uh, you know, I, I got the $10 lunch instead of the $15 lunch. Here's the five bucks back. Absolutely not. If your boss gives you money, you keep that money. You spend it on whatever you want because your boss, your job will never love you. Not like us. We will love you. Yes, we will love you more than your job. You should give us the money your boss gives you. <laughs> but because you are our boss as our patrons, uh, we will not be giving that money back. Reasonable. <laughs> but we still love you. <laughs> I also like that when he returns to Anchors, one of the things that does strain my credulity a bit is that Quoth's landlord has just let that room lie fallow for like nine months. <laughs> Yeah, how does Quoth not owe rent? Well, he doesn't owe rent because he plays music like in lieu of paying rent, right? He he brings Yeah, in... but he hasn't played music in a while. Well, yeah, exactly, right? Like he doesn't owe him back rent, but why would Anchor not have just rented the rented the room out? Maybe wait, are we gonna find out? Do they tell us? No, it's never addressed. <laughs> oh, that's kind of dumb but i guess we could like we can make that up in our heads we can say oh well like maybe it was a slow year and nobody needed or wanted the room or the explanation is, i think the other explanation is that anchor has kind of a soft spot for quoth and is hoping that he'll come back i mean i also like that explanation that's the nicest explanation it is the nicest explanation it's kind of a plot hole but ultimately i don't care because i do want quoth to just be able to return to his nice familiar home 
And it is cute to see him sort of put everything back in order. Yes. It's, uh, this is what we want to see. And like this whole sequence is doing a very efficient job of kind of resetting Quoth back up at the university and kind of establishing what his new status quo will be there. Okay, this book has done this this thing though recently that makes me very suspicious. Because like, I feel like things go really well and then they don't. So like, part of me is like, oh no, things are going really well. They're about to not go really well. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. I think my only counter argument is that this is like the denouement of the book, right? Like all the significant action has happened. So that's true. We're really close to the end of the book. So I think this is really, it's it's like the, you know, it's like the last half hour of Return of the King that is just an extended sequences of people saying goodbye to each other. This is kind of like structurally similar. Like there's not a whole lot of like dramatic tension left in the book. And so for that reason, I think I'm less worried, but I think you're right to be concerned. And I feel like this pleasant rug my, I, I don't actually remember a lot about how these last 60 or so pages go so i think we should be prepared for the rug to be pulled out from under us and if it doesn't happen by the end of this book it's gonna happen at the start of the next one you know this this cannot last this rug is as comfy as like when you get into your bed at the end of like a really long day and you're like oh yes comfy rug like comfy bed I, this is the thing and and then and then you have it ripped out from under you enough times that you're like now afraid to get into the comfy bed. <laughs> Damn, that's brutal. Yes, which is why I'm very anxious about all of this good stuff happening. Well, listeners, maybe we can make you anxious about something different. We can make you anxious about horse meat. About what? About horse meat. This letter is called Horse Meat from Curtis. Oh. <laughs> Hi, pagers. On Wise Man's Fear 871, you discussed horse meat and whether it is legal to sell or consume it in Canada. I am no expert on this topic, but I do remember seeing in my late childhood or early teenage years a food show which featured horse steak from what I remember to be a Toronto restaurant. This would have been scarily enough somewhere between 15 and 20 years ago, I expect, and then I would further presume that the episode is probably no more than a few years old at the time. Things may well have changed since then, but ever since seeing it, I wanted to eat horse steak just to see what it was like. I suppose that is literally morbid curiosity. Well, at the end of June, just a few weeks ago, I went to Cartagena, Colombia, um, his first time outside of the U.S., outside of the Canadian side of Niagara Falls, which in his opinion does not count. Uh, on my fifth day in Cartagena, I saw horse steak on a menu. I tried to confirm that it was indeed horse, but the waitress treated me as if I were asking for an English menu, even though I am 90% certain that my Spanish phrasing was correct for what I wanted to know. So I never got a hard validation on the fact that both the Spanish and English menus called it horse and that it would be a weird thing to embellish. None of the other menu items had colorful names. They just said what the dish was and what it was made from. So I think that it was horse. I ordered it immediately and without considering anything else. For a meat, it was pretty good. It was tenderer than beefsteak in my experience, but that could just be meat selection and preparation. The dish as a whole was excellent. I feel morally bad about industrialized human carnivory in general, but I am happy for this single experience because that was a ha half lifelong desire uh, and one which came to mind fairly often at that finally fulfilled. Now that I've had this experience, I do not plan to eat horse ever again, unless perhaps it is a key part of the culture which I visit and kind of want to convert to vegetarianism eventually, but the meal was good, and it was a bucket list item checked off at last. Here is an equine half-apology, Curtis. P.S. I do not have any feelings about lobster, but shrimp is disgusting to eat, and Cartagena had a lot of shrimp dishes, some of which I tried despite my known pre-existing aversion to eating shrimp. P.P.S. I would buy any children's books which you lot make. 
I mean, there definitely is a restaurant in Toronto that sells horse meat. Yeah, so uh, I pulled an article from uh, March 2013 from CBC that's literally a Toronto, or it's it's a it's an article about Toronto restaurants saying horse meat is a prime dining choice. And and then the first like uh, like subtitle thing is it's not for everyone, which I think is really funny. <laughs> Well, there's famously a restaurant in downtown, like a fancy restaurant that does horse meat, and they keep getting protested by PETA, but that just like gets them press, which then more people go and have the horse steak, so it's kind of counterproductive. Yes, there's apparently a a restaurant called La Palette that serves horse tenderloin. Uh, Curtis, I'm really glad that you had that experience, and I'm glad that it was tasty. And I gotta say, I'm I'm on the opposite end of the sea bug spectrum from you. I am not a lobster guy. I find lobster very unappealing but i could eat pounds and pounds and pounds of shrimp see i'm a no sea bugs at all person i'm not really interested in lobster like i'll try it once i haven't done it yet but like if it's someone puts it in front of me and it's free i'll i'll try it um but like i don't like shrimp i know i don't like shrimp i will probably try crab at some point because i want to at least have tried something before i say i don't like it but like the idea of of sea bugs is just like not for me what about like see boogers like how do you feel about a mollusk um i find the texture really weird uh there's like you know what i like scallops but i don't like like yeah i don't like mussels i don't like clams i don't like oysters i don't like any of those there's something weird and slimy about them octopus is good though you don't like octopus no god no no it's no, like kind of chewy it's nice but like not chewy in a bad uh, way like it's like i don't know i don't like i like I, I i like it i'm not a sea bug person whoa. i'm a squishy intel intellectual sea creature person that squicks me out that that octopus squicks me out not least because i think they're at least as smart as like they're smart in a way where i actually do feel bad about eating them yeah that's reasonable but also like they're just like weird but like when you eat octopus you're not eating a lot of it normally there's just like a little bit of it in something so i feel like it's going a long way like one animal is going a long way i don't know jordana i've seen old boy you've seen old what old boy what's old boy boy, where the guy eats a live octopus oh oh shoves it into his face oh god he's like fighting to get out of his mouth but he just like crams it in there yeah i would absolutely not uh not eat or condone the eating of any live animal that's just mean well, I think there's an exception to be made for that. Like what? The rich? The rich. <laughs> <Hey-o>! <laughs> ding, 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 we did it! <laughs> and listeners, you can sharpen your guillotines, your forks, your knives. Uh, you can put on your big bib spattered with barbecue sauce and join us at the uh, the French Revolution cookout on tomorrow's page. Of the... Wee! Wee!